A Beginner's Guide to Binoculars for Astronomy on episode 322 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So Shane, this episode we're going to put out in conjunction with a new partner of ours. This is actually our second episode we're putting out with astronomybynight.ca. I'm excited for that. Yeah, me too. Um, if anybody is unfamiliar with this website, um, that's probably to be expected because it's a fairly new website. I think uh, day one of the official launch, I think was April 10th. It is new and it is a, uh, it's a really cool astronomy website that I would say, Chris is, is largely geared towards amateurs. Yes. There's, you know, astrophotography images, there's visual observing stuff. Really the crux here is that there's a lot of new content always going up on that site. So if you're just looking for something to read while you're eating breakfast or it's a cloudy night, this is another great bookmark to add to your browser because it's uh, it's a wonderful site. And uh, I really like what uh, Karina is doing over there. Just so people know, Karina had been the editor for Sky News magazine. She was the last editor. Sky News was a magazine here in Canada that shut down. And she st she decided, again, under her own initiative, and we have to get her on the show soon. I've been bagging mm -hmm. and pleading with her, but she <laughs> really likes to hold back a bit until she has things really squared away. And I'm glad she does that because the website is very nice. And we've been doing a little bit of work with her. She's been working with lots of other interesting folks, not just Shane and I. People like Alan Dyer is starting to put up some product reviews on there. There's some other folks. People should go in and check it out. I know a couple of the people that are submitting images are spectacular astrophotographers. She's doing some astrophotography contests. There's going to be uh, what you can see in the night sky each month from various different perspectives. I know we've talked about doing some of that with her as well. And, uh, you know, we're just contributing for fun. Uh, we believe in supporting people who take on astronomy initiatives as businesses or, or what have you. And uh, we support that. We just had Robert on. He's doing something similar and had a lot of fun uh, chatting to him about the analog sky, didn't we? Yeah, it was great. If you haven't checked out that podcast, have a listen. So Robert is building, well, he's creating 3D printing plans that would allow anybody to make their own binocular telescope, which is phenomenal. It's super accessible. You know, he's, he's really doing it uh, from a perspective of, of making it available to as many people as possible. And the other part that I really love uh, that we kind of got into a little bit during the podcast is how much testing he's doing to make sure that the final product mm -hmm. really is workable by people of all ages and abilities. Um, and I think that's awesome because sometimes, uh, I think Robert mentioned it, but, or you may see like a 3d printing project that looks really cool. Mm -hmm. You go to, to do it and start printing it. And, and like, maybe the instructions aren't very clear or accurate, or you run into some other, maybe unforeseen issues, and then it becomes maybe a frustrating experience that you abandon. But Robert's really taking the time to do this right. And I think it's, I think it's going to be a great product and I can't wait to see it out there. Yeah, I was uh, chatting with with my wife. She likes to build puzzles, and and uh, I know you were saying that uh, that you guys like to build Legos and stuff at home from time to time. And I was thinking this this could actually be a fun project to do with my wife next when the bad weather turns bad again in the fall or or in the winter to uh, put one of these together on the kitchen table. Yeah, we do puzzles as well. Um, that's a great analogy, and. 
I think it's super cool to be able to build it yourself. You get a, you know, a bit of a feeling of, you know, accomplishment and satisfaction. Uh, but you also get just a better understanding of how this, you know, particular contraption works. Again, if this is of any interest, uh, or, or you're sort of mildly, even just mildly intrigued, check out our last podcast on this one. Mildly intrigued to know if you get any observing in this week, Shane. I did. Yeah. Last night, actually, I was out, um, it was a fairly clear night. Transparency was good. Seeing, eh, mm. not so good. Um, and I'm, I was even looking almost straight up at Zenith and uh, it just wasn't wonderful. But I managed to observe eight double stars that are on mm. the RASC double star list and nice. continue to really enjoy my Nexus digital setting circles. Um, uh, they really make the observing efficient and really uh, change the whole session instead of spending some time trying to find these, uh, systems, which is a lot more challenging in an urban sky. Cause you, you don't have as many guide stars to, to kind of help you out with. Um, but it just, it, it changes the, the observing session to just pure observing, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 the amount of time it takes to actually get to the object now is so fast. In fact, it's faster than a go-to telescope because the go-to engines are often kind of slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, this is a, like a push to, and it's just beautiful. I really enjoy it and had a lot of fun last night looking at some of these double stars. Nice. Uh, any highlights? Like, what did you, uh, what did you look at? What was the best thing that you saw last night and what was the observation? Yeah, you know what? I I left my uh my iPad upstairs. Unfortunately, oh, no I should I thought... have been better prepared, but no worries. There was um there was a system in um oh, I think it was in Coma Berenices uh, that I was looking at. That or Corvus, I can't remember. It was kind of in that neck of the woods. Like it was a very easy split. It was exceptionally wide with averted vision. There's a star kind of coming in and out. And I was wondering if that was part of the system. Hmm. And I was only using my, uh, my 76 millimeter telescope last night. So I was a little bit, uh, a little smaller than what I've been using recently, you know, to conclude the session, I always go to, you know, I, I enter all my notes in my logging system. Uh, and then if there's any question marks like that, I go into sky safari to validate. And sure enough, within that system, uh, and in fact, I, I, I should also add sometimes Sky Safari doesn't have all of the details. So then what I do is I go to the RASC kind of a accompaniment list that provides more detail on these systems. And the RASC list did uh, indicate that there was a third part of that system. Oh, cool. I think it's actually optical. It's, I don't actually think it's part of the system, but it's there. And uh, it was magnitude 11.8. So I was pretty pleased that I was able to see that under an urban sky. Um, Like I say, it was with averted vision and it kind of came and went with the seeing a little bit, Mm -hmm. but that was fun. And then, yeah, there's a couple other systems, two blue white stars together that were very similar in magnitude. Uh, That was kind of neat. And then a couple of other systems where there was like an orange star and a white star. There's a number of reasons why I enjoy double stars, but certainly being able to distinguish the star color is a big part of it. And when you get two stars near each other that are of different colors, uh, that contrast really helps you to pick up on some of those uh, maybe more subtle colors that stars come in. How about you? Were you able to observe? I just set up in the driveway and took a look at the moon and then Venus for maybe 20 minutes, maybe half an hour, simply because the uh, the weather was forecast to clear. And initially my plan was to head out to the cabin and do another session like I did last week. But it was forecast to go down to minus 12 out there. Yeah, is- yeah, it was kind of cold. 
when I was observing it was about minus three. So that wasn't yeah. too bad. That's not too bad. Last week we were observing at plus two to minus two. That's fine. I don't have any water out there yet. And because of that, it, it does limit me a certain amount. I have to get up and drive home. My concern was this, is that there was going to be a lot of water on the road. We had a huge storm this week, folks. We had almost a foot of snow, I think, Shane, probably a foot of snow if you added it all up. It was a lot. Yeah, I, I think it was in the 20 to 25 centimeter range. So definitely getting up there. And it was melting, kind of running everywhere. And my concern was that I would get out there and either one of two things would happen. Either the, the place, I wouldn't have enough time to really heat it up that much which would be fine. But if I decided to stay over, my concern was I would just wake up freezing cold, have to drive home in the middle of the night and driving home either in the middle of the night or at 8 a.m. I think the road might've been covered in ice because of all the water running over the road during the day from the melting snow. So that prevented me from going. I think it was just sort of a wise decision. And I didn't know how much snow fell out there and where it fell because sometimes that can bury any spot around my place for setting up and observing or it can make it a little bit more of a challenge. If if it's in the winter, it's fine. Once they come up and plow the road and that sort of thing, I don't know if they plowed the road this week. It was going to take a little bit of work. It was just going to end up being a drive out there. It could have been muddy where I can set up typically in the winter. It might've been covered in snow where I typically set up in the summer. So I was thinking, I'm just going to stay home. And then there was some high haze and maybe some of that volcanic ash as well. So just kind of disappointing because of probably the last uh, chance to observe during this uh, new moon period. Heard from Clark. He was giving us some more updates on his trip to uh, Australia to see the hybrid eclipse. So I, I had a more a slightly more detailed report from him. He's going to try to put some notes and some photographs together for us, I think. And maybe we can have a quick chat with him in a couple of weeks. He's back on Monday, I think. So he'll be back by the time this one airs and maybe we'll uh, be able to chat to him. Should be fun. Yeah, that would be great. So ready to talk about beginner binoculars? Yes. Perhaps the biggest misconception I had about binoculars, Shane, was that you would need to have a telescope to see much in the nighttime sky. And I had never even considered pointing a binocular at the nighttime sky until somebody gave me a pair of binoculars specifically for looking at the stars and deep sky objects and such with. I don't know about your introduction to binoculars, but for me, it was a little bit of a rude awakening. Yeah, well, I, I mentioned this on the, the previous podcast with Robert that um, I grew up with binoculars in our household. Uh, they were, I think they were 10 by 50s. And, you know, we use them occasionally during the daytime for nature viewing or seeing things in the distance. And it, it seems silly for me to say, but I honestly never even thought of pointing them up at the night sky. Mm -hmm. I was always interested in astronomy, but I always just assumed you needed a telescope to see anything oh, yeah. in the night sky that, you know, things were too dim or you just would need that kind of power. But it wasn't until I actually got my first real telescope, uh, which was an eight inch Skywatcher Newtonian. And with that, or shortly after that, I purchased the Backyard Observer's Guide by Terence Dickinson and Alan Dyer. That book was super informative for me early on. And I I probably read that book 20 times. Mm -hmm. You know, it just was such a valuable resource to help me understand all of the nuances. And one of the things that they mention in there is like there's a whole section, I think, or chapter on binoculars mm -hmm. and how useful they are. And at that time, they recommended Bosch and Lom legacy binoculars. Uh, they were seven by 50. And that was their choice for 
kind of that best balance between cost and performance for astronomy. Uh, so I picked those up and started to use those in conjunction with my eight inch and quickly realized how valuable binoculars are and how much they do that a telescope can't do. And one of the things that really became apparent fast was occasionally I would have uh, a hard time finding an object in the night sky with the, with the eight inch. And it would take me a while and I, you know, would fail, fail, fail. But if I had the binoculars out, I would just quickly look at the star field through the binoculars to make sure I was in the right part of the sky. And then I could, you know, kind of quickly uh, identify if I go to the left of that bright star, you know, that's where the cluster will be or whatever I might be looking for. And then I would go to the telescope, find the bright star, go to the left and boom, there it was. It really made finding objects actually a lot easier for me with my eight inch. And uh, that kind of began the the interest and and certainly the usage of binoculars for astronomy uh, for myself. For me, I I only started with binoculars because they were given to me as, as a gift at Christmas with the Backyard Astronomer's Guide as sort of a, a dual gift because they knew when they were giving them to me that I would be a little bit disappointed because I sort of had been saving up for a telescope at the time and I needed to start learning the stars and the constellations and that sort of thing. And the, and they had done all this research to figure out uh, what what they should get me to get started in, in astronomy. So getting the binoculars and getting that book um, was instrumental in me learning the night sky and, and to be able to learn my way around the night sky. And because it took me, you know, a few years to save up, I think about two or close to three years to get a two and a half years, say to get a binocular, to get a telescope after having those binoculars that I really did know the night sky pretty well by the time I had that telescope and was really able to use it uh, very, very easily because I already knew where a lot of this stuff was in the nighttime sky. For me, you said it was Bosch and Lom that you got, I was thinking mine were Bushnell, but now I don't know. Maybe mine were Bosch and Lom as well. But what I do remember is they were called an eyeglasses on 10 by 50, and they were rubberized for protection in harsh conditions and like boating and such. Mm-hmm. I use those so much that, uh, all of that armoring eventually was falling off by the time I, I still had them at my folks place when I go down there, but you can't even use them really that like little pieces of plastic fall off every time you pick them up. So, yeah. Yeah. Some of those binoculars too, they just don't age well and that stuff no. starts to deteriorate. Yeah. Yeah. But I did really appreciate that because somebody who has to wear eyeglasses when I do astronomy, having binoculars that accommodated for my eyeglasses on nature worked, uh, worked really well. So why binoculars, Shane? What uh, what makes them so easy to use? Well, you don't. Well, typically, you you just really need the binoculars. You don't necessarily need um, a tripod, although sometimes, depending on the size of the binoculars, you do. But the binoculars that you and I usually recommend are small enough um, and and workable just in your hands. So you know that's one great aspect of binoculars. You don't need eyepieces. You don't need any of the other stuff. So the uh, the barrier to entry from a cost perspective is is usually quite friendly, uh, mm-hmm. especially relatively compared to say a telescope. Mm-hmm. And then the other nice thing that I really really appreciate about binoculars is they really do have multi-use. You know, a telescope you're likely just going to use at night for astronomy. However, your binoculars, you know, obviously use them for astronomy, but 
go bird watching or take them on trips for sightseeing. They have so much uh, usage that um, they they really are an essential part of my optical uh, sort of inventory. Yeah, like most of us, most people, even if they've never done astronomy before, are going to be familiar with using binoculars already. And for me anyway, like you were talking about before, they're correctly oriented. Everything mm. is correctly upside right. They're not upside down and everything is correct left to right. When you purchase a telescope, depending on the optical system, whether it's a reflector or refractor or what have you, it's going to change the orientation of the image. But binoculars, for the most part, they give you that correctly oriented image. So you don't have that learning curve. Like every time somebody looks through the telescope, they say, oh, the moon is backwards or whatever it is, is upside down. You don't have that with binoculars. So they're very easy and they're also very easy to point. So whatever you, like you were saying, whatever you want to look at, you just point at, and then uh, you're going to see where that is. It's a little bit more intuitive. Some of the other things, Shane, is that they're very portable. Um, mm -hmm. So you'll use them lots. We always say the best thing to get is an instrument or instruments that you will use the most and binoculars get used a great deal. Hey. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a great comment. You know, and just to maybe build on that slightly, one of our long, long time listeners, uh, Phil from the UK, recently sent a message to us and he referenced, um, and this isn't binocular, but it, it highlights, you know, what, what is easy to use is what gets used. Mm -hmm. uh, he has an eight inch Newtonian and he has a little 80 millimeter short tube refractor. And he was just commenting how much more he uses the refractor uh, simply because it's just grab with one hand, it's already on the tripod, go out the door and you're observing. It's just easy to use. And binoculars are yet another step uh, of ease in terms of use, even over a short tube, uh, small telescope. Uh, mm -hmm. They are just so, so handy to have and so easy to get, uh, you know, under the night sky and operating. They're also very affordable. So mm -hmm. whereas a telescope, to get a quality telescope, unless you buy a, a good one used or, or you end up getting one gifted or typically a telescope is going to be a lot more expensive than a pair of binoculars. And for me at the time, I was saving up, but it was going to take a couple of years anyway for me to save up the money to buy a telescope. You also need to learn all the stars and constellations and everything, or at least I that's, that's what I wanted to do. A lot of people now want to take photos and stuff, which is awesome. But if you do want to learn the night sky, binoculars are a much easier aid to, uh, to doing that, aren't they? Oh, definitely. Um, they, they certainly are. And, and one thing that binoculars do way better than most telescopes is the wide field of views. Like if you really just want to sweep the night sky and you know, it's spring right now. So soon we'll be getting into the summer Milky way, which is just, uh, you know, a stunning part of the, of the night sky. And one of my favorite things to do is just to uh, not even have a, an object in mind, but just pan with binoculars through the Milky Way because it's so rich with, uh, you know, dense star fields and clusters and nebula. It's amazing with binoculars. It really changes how you perceive uh, some of those areas of the sky. Have you been to the Milky Way yet this year? <laughs> uh, I have not. And for, for listeners, there's a ice cream place here in our hometown of Regina that is uh, quite locally famous for uh, great ice cream, and it's it's called the Milky Way. So we talked about our first binoculars. What were some of the first things that that you took a look at through your binoculars when you were first panning around with them? That's a great question. I don't remember other than that I was 
early on in my astronomy life, I was doing the Messier list, but I was doing it exclusively from my backyard mm -hmm. uh, in an urban city. I think it might've been the Andromeda galaxy that I was uh, having a hard time locating with the Newtonian mm -hmm. and uh, one quick sweep with the binoculars in the area of the Nailed sky it. that I, I thought was there. I saw this smudge and I, yep. I thought, well, that, that must be it. So then I went to the telescope put it up and yeah, you know, that, that's, that was it. Uh, after that, it really helped me find a number of Messier objects, uh, just from the backyard. For me, I'll never forget. It was, it was M42, the Orion Nebula, the great Orion Nebula mm -hmm. star from a region in Orion. It's something that I was vaguely aware of that was up there. It was something that I would have thought previously was only visible with a telescope and like I said, there's not a lot of charts in the backyard astronomer's guide, but there must have been one, or maybe I bought a magazine or something that that showed where it was. And my friend Jay was over and and he said, Hey, uh, what's the deal with these binoculars and this astronomy book? So I was saying, Oh, my girlfriend had given them to me. And for astronomy, I haven't really taken them out. He said, Let's let's do it. Let's take them out. Let's do this right now. Let's go look at let's see what we can see. See if this this works, right? This seems kind of unlikely that you can use binoculars to see anything. And I remember he just walked outside and he pointed them up. He knew that M42 was near Orion's belt. And he just went, Whoa, you know, kind of thing. And I said, wait, 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 let me see. And he's like, just look right below the belt. And there it was. We we were able to just grab the binoculars, walk outside, and with only a very rough understanding of astronomy, start to look at a star-forming region in space. And I found that same experience has been replicated with me many, many times over the years because you have a very wide field, like you were saying, Shane, and there's a super high time spent to reward ratio when you're using binoculars you can find things really fast with them and because of that it almost is like like you're you're winning the lottery a lot more frequently with the binoculars than with the telescope that's kind of the way i look at it yeah that's a great way of putting it and you know we've mentioned this many times i think on the podcast but you know we've gone to very dark skies like grasslands national park with telescopes and binoculars and there's been some nights where we mm -hmm. don't even set up the telescopes or or they're set up, but we don't even look through them because we're so enamored with the binocular views and we just spend the night in a comfortable chair with binoculars. And uh, those have been very, very enjoyable nights. I, uh, you know, I just can't state enough how, how much I do enjoy binoculars from time to time. And sometimes the conditions just haven't allowed us. Sometimes we've had... Mm like a rainstorm come by towards the end of the day, like the end of daylight and the ground just doesn't dry out enough. And so the the few spots where we can observe and maybe there's a bit of fog, like sometimes we've even had to sort of move locations two or three times to do any observing throughout an evening. And by having binoculars, uh, you can just sort of walk up to the next terrace in the hill. It's above the the ground fog that suddenly moved into our spot. And whereas if you had the telescopes, you'd, you would have been done for the night after 20 minutes of observing. There's all kinds of use cases. Mm -hmm. And so many times, Shane, when I don't take the binoculars with me, I regret it. Last weekend, great example. I just happened to have left uh, an old pair of binoculars out at the cabin. I get out there. I didn't have my binoculars. Immediately, I regretted it because Mike brought his, of course. He's reclined in a lawn chair. He's looking at M44 and saying, oh, what great views, what great views. And I don't want to grab his binoculars because he was having a telescope challenge that night and couldn't get it working. 
uh, just like screw was missing. And so that that's why Mike knows how to set up a 12-inch telescope. And I didn't want to grab his binoculars and mess around with his focus and everything. So I was like, oh, I remember I have a pair in here. So I went in and grabbed my binoculars for earlier this month when I was hunting down Mercury. I was trying to hunt it down with my class. And then, oh, I wish I brought my binoculars because I would have found it just that much sooner than waiting to, to be able to get the telescope on it after I found it naked eye first. So there's a lot of different use cases for binoculars, eh? Oh, there is. And and another one that I really enjoy is sometimes when we go on our, our astronomy trips, the night sky maybe isn't clear. It's partly cloudy. So you have what we call sucker holes, which, you know, is a clear part of the sky and you get excited that you might be able to observe, but it suckers you in because moments later a cloud comes by and, mm-hmm. and now you can't see that part of the sky. So those nights aren't great for telescope use, but they are phenomenal for binocular use just because you can quickly point and turn around and do whatever you need to do to, to see like the clear parts of the sky if it's not a, a perfect night. One of the things I did with my 10 by 50s when I bought them though is I eventually modified tripod a little bit with a ball head adapter to put them on the tripod because I found the 10 by 50s uh, a little bit too heavy. I'm not sure what your experience was like with uh, your first binocular, but I've eventually uh, scaled down and gone to slightly smaller binoculars for handheld. And then I have uh, larger binoculars, which I can tripod mount. Yeah, my my 50 millimeter binoculars, I, I had the same issue. I could not handhold them steady enough and the vibration drove me a little crazy. I ended up with an L bracket and mounted them on a tripod and that worked fairly well. But now I, I just prefer binoculars that do not require me to use a tripod because again, just the ease of use. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, my binoculars now are, are smaller. The largest aperture binoculars that I have are 42 millimeter. We've thrown out a few numbers here. I said my first binoculars were 10 by 50s. I've got 7 by 50s at the cabin. Mostly I use a 7 by 35. But Shane, with these, what does that first number mean? What does the 10X mean in binoculars when we're talking about that? Yeah, that one's the easy number, and that's simply the magnification. The higher the number, the more magnification you get. But keep in mind, when we talk about magnification, it's not just uh, increasing the image scale. It magnifies everything, including the shakes that you might have hand-holding binoculars. Mm -hmm. So the higher that number the more likely you are to see kind of, you know, stars racing by because you're, you just can't hold them steady enough. So my rule for myself is seven to eight times is probably my limit. And even then I've, I find eight times a little shaky for myself. So certainly 10 times and above for me, I just don't hold them steady enough to be really all that usable. Common numbers are going to be your 7X, 8X, 10X, 12X. There's some 9X out there as well. 15X is pretty popular. But like you were saying, in those smaller magnifications, the 7 and 8X range is uh, more beneficial, we think, because you don't get as much shake and you can look through them longer. What about that second number? What about that 50 millimeter or 35 millimeter number? So with the 10 by 50s, the seven by 35, what does the 50 or the 35 mean? So this, this represents the size of the aperture of the objective. So that's the, the piece of glass at the end of the binoculars that you're not putting your eyes to. The larger the number, the more light gathering capabilities uh, the binoculars will have. So they will show 
dimmer objects. The objects through larger binoculars will be brighter. Usually you'll have a, the higher that number, your field of view narrows a bit. It's just kind of the, the way optics work. And also the larger the number, the heavier the binoculars uh, will likely be as well. So common numbers uh, are probably anywhere from 30 up to maybe 70-ish uh, size. Mm -hmm. For myself, again, like I mentioned earlier, 40-ish, 42 millimeters, uh, that, that, that's about as far as I go. Find anything larger than that. And again, I, I start to struggle uh, more to hold them steady. Sometimes you'll see the common recommendation being something like get get the largest, biggest, whatever you can get is, does that hold true with binoculars? So should somebody get like a really big 70 or 80 millimeter inexpensive binocular that's like 15 or 20 magnification as their first binocular or what might work better for them? Yeah. You know, each to their own. And some people may jump in with, with large binoculars and really enjoy it. But I would personally recommend something smaller that again, can be handheld and easily transported. Uh, probably one of the most common sizes these days would be like an eight by 42 or a seven by 42. That seems pretty common out there, but I would typically stay away from the bigger ones. And some of the bigger ones too, unless you, you know, you're spending a lot of money can be a little bit, can have some quality issues too. I always look at two particular binoculars to recommend for my class. And this, they seem to vary a little bit. First of all, people should use whatever binoculars they have. Don't go out and buy specific binoculars just because we make a recommendation. Try what you have first. The two that I recommend just based on my own experience with these two binoculars, and they vary quite a bit in pricing. They're eight by 40. One of them is made by Nikon. It's called the Action EX ATB or the Action Extreme All-Terrain Binocular, although you're not going to be able to go ATVing on it or something like that. <laughs> and the other is the Pentax WP. They may have some slight variations in them, but the Nikon has about an eight degree, or I think it says an 8.2 degree field of view. I think it says it has like 17 or 18 millimeters of eye relief. The Pentax has a 20 millimeter of eye relief, and it has a 6.3 degree true field of view. Now, the pricing on these tends to vary quite a bit. Sometimes the Pentax is much more expensive than the Nikon. Sometimes the Nikon is much more expensive than the Pentax. Last time I did this back in the fall, it was the reverse. So the Pentax was more expensive than the Nikon. I was telling people to go buy the Nikon. Right now, the Nikon is a little bit more expensive. So right now, the Pentax, I think you can get for about $130 US. And I think the Nikon is maybe as much as 50% more. At least that's that's what I found out. And I went to the Nikon website, but you know, prices can vary. And sometimes there's sales on binoculars. I like the Nikons and the Pentax equally. The Nikons have a slightly wider field of view, and I think they're just a hair lighter. And I just like that. I think they feel very nice in the hands. The Pentax have a slightly narrower field of view. However, what they have is a slightly sharper field of view. So it just depends. 
it's funny when they were the same price for a long time, I would say, oh, if I was you, I would go get the Nikons because they're wider. It's going to make things slightly easier to find perhaps. And then everybody would go out and buy the Pentax because the Pentax are slightly sharper and then people can uh, maybe use them for birding. A lot of people were taking my class and they were into birding. So they were buying the Pentax and they were really happy with them. Those are those are some good quality ones that you know I don't think anybody would regret purchasing. I've spent lots of time with both them. So that's mm-hmm. why I feel comfortable. Personally, I use a pair of seven by 35s. Actually, I have a few pairs of seven by 35s. Got some seven by 50s, 10 by 70s. I have all kinds of different size binoculars. But for these ones, I find, like you said, I can see a little bit more shake with the 8X over the 7X, but it to me, it doesn't really seem like it provides that much of a shake. But I find that for whatever reason, 8X seems like a great magnification. And when I've compared the 8X to 10X handheld, I can't see much of a difference because any increase in resolution I get from 8X to 10X is gobbled up by the added vibration and the annoyance of not being able to hold them as long. And the same thing with the 40 millimeter lenses on the 8x40s. I find I can handhold those nearly as long as my 7x35s, but much, much longer than the 10x50s. And again, the added increase in weight of the 10 by 50 binoculars, to, to me, it means I can't hold them up as long. And, and therefore, the view, I, I don't get as much time to enjoy the view and sort of soak in the view as much as I do with like a 7x35 or an 8x40. But people are wondering what I use. It's the uh, Nikon Action Extreme ATB 7x35. And I like those nice wide field of view, nine degrees. And they're very light. Like I find I can just hold those up for a, a very, very long period of time. And I think I can even take some of the smaller constellations all in in one go. It's uh, it's a great little binocular and again, a uh, little bit cheaper than the 8x40s. There's some bigger binoculars that are around, Shane. Sometimes we see like the 15x70s uh, made by various manufacturers. I, I've had a few pairs in the past. They're, they're good quality, but would you recommend a 7x35 or a large binocular like that to somebody to get started? Or what are your thoughts on that? Again, I, I would probably stay with the smaller binoculars, the 15 by 70s, you're going to need a, a tripod. Um, and for me, I really enjoy the wider field uh, views that binoculars can provide. And you're not going to get that with the larger ones. Um, so, you know, 7 by 35s or 8 by 42s, you're going to get a, a much wider field of view. And that's just my preference. But again, it it really is what you're what you're really wanting to do, I suppose. Certainly like the 15 by 70s, they will go what we call deeper. Like you're going to see fainter objects and objects you see will be brighter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you really are interested in getting to dark skies and maybe looking at some deep sky objects, the larger binoculars are going to be great. It's just, there's a little more involved there. You're going to need a mount. You're going yep. to need a tripod. As long as you're okay with that, um, then those binoculars will be uh, pretty good for you. They also have a smaller field of view and a few things like that. So I definitely think even if somebody maybe has a pair of those already, because I've seen it even now where people have started with a 15 by 70 because they're often listed as like an astronomy binocular and people go go for that. And I think that's fine. And some people make out fine. Everybody's different. But I think as well, it's worthwhile to even have like a 7 by 35 or an 8 by 40. And maybe if there's somebody out there that has the uh, 15 by 70s, then I would definitely say, well, maybe really think about the 7 by 35 more because you get that, that last little bit of extra wide field of view. And the 15 by 70s are going to have smaller field of view. 
Now, as far as recommendations on other binoculars go, Shane, I have a couple sort of exceptions to the rule. I have old Vixen. I mean, I bought them new at the time, but they're they're almost 20 years old now, is the Vixen 7 by 50s And they are based on the Celestron Ultima design. And you can find uh, these binoculars or the Celestron Ultima designs in an, any of the used online marketplaces. Sometimes you can find them on your local used marketplaces. They made tons of them back in the day. They can be relatively affordable. They have long eye relief and then they're reasonably lightweight. So I don't mind those seven by fifties by Vixen or, uh, or Celestron. And then some of the other recommendations that we might make for people that maybe are looking to get that ultimate starter binocular might be uh, a set like you have. Can you tell us about what uh, you've got handy there? Yeah, my favorite binoculars that I use are Canon 12 by 36 binoculars. And, you know, that may sound contrary to what I said earlier about using uh, lower magnification, but these are image stabilized. So um, similar to like a camera, uh, just about any like kind of DSLR or mirrorless camera will have an image stabilizing system in them so that you can do like high magnification photos without a lot of shake and it'll be nice and crisp. Same technology is in binoculars. The Canon, why do I keep saying Canon? <laughs> I don't the know. Canon, the Canon binoculars, image stabilized binoculars are some of the more popular ones out there. And what you do is you just hit a switch on them, yep. which activates the image stabilization. And it truly is magical. Without that button, stars are moving around and I can't really hold it steady press the button. And it's like, I just put these binoculars on a tripod and it's just pretty much rock solid and they perform exceptionally well. Our friend Mike has 15 by 50, uh, Canon image stabilized binoculars equally as good. Like the stabilization is wonderful. I love the 12 by 36s because they're, they are really good at night for astronomy, but I also use them a ton during the day. Uh, anytime I travel, they come with me because they're very portable. Uh, I really enjoy them. I think the three models aimed at the amateur astronomy market are the 10 by 30s, which might sound small, but they really work more like a 10 by 50 because of this technology. There's the 12 by 36s, which Shane has. There's the 15 by 50s, which Mike has. And then there's the astronomy version, which is a 10 by 42. And they are all very, very good for astronomy. There's only one small problem with them. What's that, Shane? Yeah, they're not cheap. There's that too. I <laughs> um, guess I would counter that a little bit by saying you don't, you don't need to buy tripod, a tripod. You don't need to buy a mount. So that saves you a little bit. But yeah. uh, they certainly are not inexpensive. But if you if you enjoy binoculars, this is sort of a lifetime investment. Like these things are something you'll use almost exclusively for probably every time you you use binoculars. My wife and I enjoy birding sometimes. Even then, I, I just, I gravitate towards the image stabilized binos as opposed to my non-stabilized binos. I just, I'm, it's such a nice luxury. I've been teaching my astronomy class, I suppose I should say for about 12 years now. I recall I had one session where I had folks out and I had my binoculars there. I had my telescope there. I was uh, having people look through the telescope. I was pointing it around. I was letting people use the binoculars. And then after the session, one of the attendees of the class said to me, 
you know what? I'm really surprised how much I like the binoculars over a telescope. I was going to buy a fairly expensive telescope after taking this course. I realize that I won't use it as much. There's a little bit more involved to the telescope, at least right now for me. Maybe it's something I'll get in the future. So I want to take that money that I was going to put into the telescope and get a binocular. And what's the best one I could get? I said, well, maybe go and get one of the image stabilized ones. And that person went out, they bought a pair. I remember I ran into them two or three years later and they were so ecstatic that even though that was their first binocular for astronomy, just for that person that did the ticket and they were using them for astronomy and other things all the time. I've run into people all over the world using the image stabilized binoculars for astronomy and for daytime nature observation like you, Shane. They are a fantastic tool that almost sits in a, in a unique category somewhere between telescope, uh, spotting scope maybe, and uh, and a regular binocular, hey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they They really are quite nice. Eye relief. One thing we mentioned, I think if you're looking for a binocular is to make sure it has the right eye relief. What is eye relief exactly, Shane? Um, it, it's where the, um, uh, I, I guess, like how close your eye needs to be in order to see the entire field of view. Um, it's of more importance to folks like you and I that wear eyeglasses, uh, because with eyeglasses, you can't put uh, the binoculars into your kind of eye sockets. Like they're, you know, they, they can only go as far or as close as your eye lens, eyeglass lenses allow. And uh, if the eye relief is too narrow, meaning too short, uh, you won't see the entire field of view. It'll be cut off. Mm -hmm. So typically eyeglass wearers will need anywhere from say 15 millimeters. Now that's pretty extreme on the short end. Uh, most land around 20 millimeters. And there's a few folks that probably even need a little bit more than that. It really just mm -hmm. depends on how your face is and, you know, if your eyes are sunken a, a little bit or not, but uh, uh, typically 20 millimeters of eye relief is what you should look for if you wear eyeglasses. Both the models that I referred to earlier are for eyeglass wearers. They also work fine for people who don't wear eyeglasses. Everybody's different. I would suggest just trying out the binoculars uh, in the store or something if you can get to one. If you are somebody that wears eyeglasses, though, I think it's worthwhile having the binoculars that have long eye relief so that you can use your eyeglasses with them because it's just a hassle to take the glasses on and off. I have binoculars that I need to use without glasses, and I definitely don't use those ones as much. It's just sort of a hassle to take the glasses off in the dark and put them down and grab the binoculars. And you can't sort of stand back from the binoculars and look at the sky naked eye without the the eyeglasses on. I don't really see the the crisp stars. So to me, it's it's worthwhile just making sure you get a pair like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Focusing. I made a little bit here on focusing binoculars, Shane, because... It's something that requires a slightly different skill to get the sharpest pinpoint stars through binoculars. Now, I think for the most part, people can just grab a pair of binoculars, go out on the nighttime sky and just start using them right away. But you can get a little bit of uh, uh, finer detail if you follow these these instructions. But really with the binocular, just people should just be able to take it out and use it straight out of the box kind of thing or off the shelf and have great success, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Binoculars have this thing on them uh, called a diopter adjustment. And it's typically just on one of the eyepieces, either the left or the right, and it just rotates uh, 
clockwise or counterclockwise. The first thing you should do is locate, you know, which eyepiece it's on. Let's say for this example, it's on the right hand side. So what you do, you know, hold the binoculars up to uh, the night sky or some object in the distance, uh, close your right eye because that's the diopter setting and just focus the binoculars as well as you can on your left eye. And then once you've done that, close the left eye, open the right eye, and now just turn the diopter setting either left or right until that becomes as crisp as possible. Once you've done that, uh, you, you never have to touch it again. It's locked for you basically for as long as you observe with those, uh, somebody else may need a different diopter setting. Um, but if you just, uh, if, if you're the only user, you don't really have to worry about it. And then that will allow you to see the crispest views possible. That will give you the really sharp stars that will allow you to see a little bit deeper into the night sky. Eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the best way to do it for sure. One of the other things I think we should mention, because I've, I've seen these kicking around, I have a set here on my desk is these wide viewed constellation type binoculars. Some of them are relatively affordable. I think they make an interesting addition to any kind of binocular starter set. We have the ones that are about two magnification by roughly 40 millimeter uh, objective lenses. They can allow you to see large swaths of the sky, but I don't think these really replace those 7x35 or 8x40 binoculars though, do you Shane? No, each binocular, like, um, you know, varying magnifications and varying apertures, uh, really do provide unique use cases. The constellation binoculars are great, but they would never replace my other binoculars. They're just a different tool to use, to observe different things. Once you get that focus in though, the way that you described, you can, you can really see some sharp, some sharp stars. What are we doing with the words today? Some sharp stars. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say it must be in the water. Your star shars with your Camon binoculars. <laughs> yeah. Some of the resources I think people should check out are the book Night Watch. If you haven't already, this has star charts in it. Really basic naked eye star charts. Really great binocular star charts in there and charts that can get you going with small telescopes. I was looking at Craig Crossan's binocular astronomy. I've got an older copy. It's still available for sale at shopatsky.com, which is the sky and telescope on their website. You can go on there. You can buy the second edition. I think it's about $30 American or $40 American. Very, very good book to get. Touring the Universe Through Binoculars from Phil Harrington, I think is available free on his website. And the Cloudy Nights Binocular Forum, I think is a pretty good resource people should check out. Do you have any other resources that uh, you might recommend to folks, Shane? Yeah, uh, not, nothing in particular, but if you just look for any um, observing lists or guides that are uh, specifically created for like small aperture telescopes, like 50 millimeter to say 60 or maybe even 70 millimeter, those guides will translate very well to binocular use as well mm -hmm. and uh, can help you identify some cool objects to look at. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks everybody for listening and dear listeners, please subscribe and do us the favor of sharing the show with your fellow stargazers that, you know, we'd appreciate it as the more listeners we have, the more we can do with the show. It's always fun to have more people involved in the conversation. You can reach us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, 
Or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <music>